Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of the NPCs podcast. In this week's episode of Discuss, we take a look at the resurgence of a beloved form of video game entertainment and what its revival means for gamers and non-gamers alike. I'm, of course, talking about the arcade. While the arcades in the U.S. had begun to drift into the murky depths that imprisoned Blockbuster and Radio Shack, it doesn't mean they went away for good. The home console space and its adoption of online play made for a more enticing experience than leaving the house with a pocket full of quarters. Many local arcades began to close up shop and resell their cabinets to collectors or to other arcades that needed replacements for their own broken cabinets. However, as the waves of nostalgia took over many people's imaginations and motivations, we started to see a change in the arcade market. Cabinets became even more expensive to purchase, so for one to play arcade classics, it became a slight challenge. However, the idea to make your own using nothing more than a cheap $35 PC took off and soon everyone who wanted an arcade of their own in their own home could make it happen and the industry took notice. Companies now sell build-it-yourself flat-pack arcade cabinets, and adoption of new arcade titles and ideas brought both old and new back to the floors of the arcades we knew and loved. So let's talk more about this, and what this new arcade revolution looks like. My name is Travis Sherman, and as always, for NPCs Discuss and everything else NPCs, I am joined by Kyle Inman. Kyle, what's up, man? Oh, not a lot. What's up, what's up? Well... I'm actually very excited to talk about this topic because of it being about arcades. And like, I'm going to mention this right off the bat. I think the one thing that got me excited about talking about this topic was that uh, one of these new companies that to stand up in the last, I'd say maybe five or six years, Arcade One Up, just recently launched their arcade cabinet for Marvel versus Capcom 2. And I got to say, I, I, if that thing doesn't sell out anytime soon, I think I'm going to have to go, like just go buy one. I'm excited oh, to go yeah. and check this out. No, chomping at the bit, definitely, especially for me. That being one of my all-time favorite fighting games, and the uh, collection of games that comes with it to boot uh, just leaves so many people uh, also chomping at the bit for the game as well. And it, of course, includes online play with. Uh, I want to say at least Marvel vs. Capcom 2, and I believe two or three of the other titles on it. So, Actually, Kyle, it's eight titles. It includes Marvel oh. vs. Capcom 2, Marvel vs. Capcom, Marvel Super Heroes vs. Street Fighter, X-Men vs. Street Fighter, Marvel Super Heroes, X-Men Children of the Atom, X-Men Mutant Apocalypse, and Marvel Super Heroes in War of the Gems. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a collection. No kidding. And that's that's just one of the many cabinets, of course. And according to their website right now, they have sold out of every single pre-order that that they had available because it was that popular. And I mean, for you and I, we looked at that cabinet the first day they announced it. And it's like, holy crap, that would be awesome to have. But that's the thing that's going around in in the gaming industry right now is that everybody is so nostalgic for arcade. I don't know if it is truly a nostalgia part in the sense of just a throwback to the days of old, or if it's a, um, or if it's this idea of being able to play games that you weren't able to play in the past, maybe because, you know, we're, we're old enough now that like my kids have never really set foot in the arcades that we used to know, but they've been in arcades that are now up and around, you know, the arcades that have like, uh, right. Halo games, uh, they've got like Guitar Hero in them. Uh, you know, they, they they didn't have a lot of this stuff like like we did. Like you know, we'd go into the arcade and we had you know NFL Blitz was one of the ones we had there. Uh, the original Time Crisis, Time Crisis Two, um, Dance Dance Revolution. Uh, I mean, I could go on about all of these, but mm-hmm. you know, um, Kyle, I guess for a lot of the arcade stuff, I want to kind of kind of. Uh, pick your brain on this one especially is like where do you think things really kind of like changed for the arcade stuff um i mean i'm guessing it's been what at least the last five to maybe six years that there's been this big change or has it been like has this resurgence like started even before that well i think the resurgence has been around maybe a little bit longer than that i think um you know our arcade one up started as a small company that that did basically what they're doing now just on a far larger uh smaller scale um and 
it was it was a neat alternative, but they were still expensive then. I think even more expensive than they are now, just because they were on, you know, smaller scale and still trying to find people to back them essentially. But uh, I I think the uh, resurgence has really started because of that that uh, larger group of of adults like our age group and maybe a little bit older that that still pine for that feeling of, you know, going to the arcade or having, you know, that, that cabinet that, you know, they're able to play. Um, and there, well, while arcades may still be kind of around or still have a small resurgence, the style of games has really changed. And you see a larger mix of, of, you know, the classic games alongside, you know, modern games as well as games that are kind of not necessarily authentic, but just, you know, your your Raspberry Pi style emulated uh, game, unfortunately. So I, I, I think this gives people the opportunity to, to have that, that classic nostalgia feel for the arcade, but have it more, you know, accessible at home. Yeah, and, that, and that's what's really driving it. Yeah, exactly. And for a town like ours, you know, we we had an arcade. We had, uh, and it was a chain arcade too that was around a bunch of other spots. It was Time Out. Mm-hmm. You know, when we were kids, we had that. Um, and then, of course, it kind of got pushed out competition wise via uh, one of the like first like land cafes that we had here. One of the first like internet cafes. And the adoption of playing games in there versus going in and putting the money down that you would play over at an arcade. Um, but still having those fond memories brings me back to that exact same thing you were just talking about. It's just the idea of being able to have a lot of that, even though having, you know, pushed some of that stuff aside as, you know, growing up and getting into different types of gaming, that nostalgia is still there. And that's really what a lot of this does feed on, especially. Um and you're right. It's like they really did kind of take this idea and push forward on a lot of it. But a lot of that inspiration has come from what people have done, like you said, with the Raspberry Pi. Uh, that's the That was the $35 PC I mentioned there in the intro, that you could go and get a decent Raspberry Pi, get yourself a 16 or 32 gig micro SD card and load it up with stuff. You know, obviously, legally, you'd want to do it. Um, mm-hmm. But we know how sometimes that goes. And then be able to make your own arcade experience at home, you know, and, and you could spend maybe a hundred bucks to build out everything, including uh, the actual board necessary to run like uh, a joystick and the uh, face buttons that you would see on an arcade itself. Like you could build out the entire cabinet from scratch. But, right. But, but now we're, we're seeing companies that are, are producing cabinets that are exactly that and more affordable and already pre-produced or, you know, companies like Arcade One Up where you, you get the kit and you basically assemble it and everything's there for you. So you don't actually have to go out and, you know, get the patterns for the, the you know, arcade box and and the the stand, you know, and everything to to make it authentic and you don't have to wire up the joysticks, you know, um, necessarily cause it's all kind of pre done for you. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea though, that retro gaming, I mean, it's been big anyway, and has been, this is just another facet of the retro gaming environment really, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, I, and I, I, I feel like if, they were able to do some of the um, more interactive games. They would uh, have a far larger audience. We're only starting to see, you know, some of those come around with like uh, Terminator coming out. But could you imagine if they did uh, what, what was uh, Silent Scope or Time Crisis or even DDR with yeah. the, the actual pad, but on a more affordable scale? Yeah, and that would be a rather interesting concept. See, that was one that had gone through my head at one point in time was Silent Scope. But I think one of the problems you run into, and this is what like Arcade One Up is focused on, is that they're focused on making cabinets that are both easy to assemble 
and compact in the sense that they allow you to still play these games without taking up as much space as a regular cabinet. And you think of the size of the silent scope cabinet. I mean, you're talking about, you know, in some capacity, the size of the rifle that you have on that, uh, on that cabinet has to be accounted for in the rest of the size of the cabinet though, too. So by having something like that, you're, you're kind of getting out of that normal little bit. I, that's not to say that it can't be done, but at least in this current iteration, I think they're going to have some other challenges to really address to do some of those interactive titles. But I know, like, no holding back on that either. I would love to see something like that. I'd love to see a a mini DDR cabinet or something come out that you know maybe it doesn't have the two the two pads with the arrows on them, so you can do you know a two player game or something. But you at least have something you can have in your home that you could easily put together yourself. Oh yeah, no, it it would definitely be be cool but i mean when when you start taking a look at uh a difference in in like the inside of the guts too i mean it's it's just that you see uh systems that are more similar to the raspberry pis um a lot of the pcbs that are coming in in the uh raspberry pi i want to say they're they're actually powered by uh aw uh i think it's an a13 chip um which it's not a super powerful chip, but it, it it is designed you know or more tailored for the style of board uh, that they use, and um, it, it it's not quite to the level of what you would see in an arcade cabinet, but it, it does uh, kind of accurately emulate uh, what you would see in an arcade cabinet. Uh, whereas you know some arcade cabinets they would use whole computer systems like with the Sega Naomi it it almost looked like you know a few Dreamcasts stacked together and or you know a (laughs) giant thick Dreamcast uh that had a network adapter or a giant card sticking out of the bottom of it uh for the game or you know you, you even had older uh Capcom uh units like the original Marvel versus Capcom that used a big old board that you know, was a foot and a half tall by, you know, a foot wide. So it it just, it, it's crazy to think about. They're, they're able to compact some of these uh, older units and, and get the uh, more than semi-accurate uh, emulation out of it. Yeah, and at least they've been able to emulate a lot of that, though, in that case that they've been able to provide somewhat of a relative experience as it was in the past, but of course not necessarily meeting the full, the full scope of what it was to actually play on an arcade machine. You know, they're, they're right there at least for like what modern technology is available, but you're right is that there are some of those things that they just, you know, they've been able to get around just because of the way technology has changed and shrunk down. But what I want to circle around to, especially because of like it being a part of the retro gaming environment is the accessibility of arcades and that anybody could go into an arcade and anybody could go in and play those games that are there. You know, I mean, even if you're not skilled, you can still put a quarter in and play a game. One of the things that comes in with a lot of the retro gaming though, is the actual acquisition of, of those retro titles. Like for instance, I went on to a uh, classic video game reseller website today while I was at work on my lunch break and was looking around to see like, what would it take for me to find some old super Nintendo games I had as a kid? You know, what would it take for me to find adventures of Yogi bear? What would it take for me to find, um, uh, Mario paint with the tray and the mouse pad, you know, for the super Nintendo, what would like, what would it take for me to find those? Like maybe not necessarily a full, like new in box setup, but decent quality. And some of those prices, of course, just for like, even the, the game on its own, were just enough to make me go like, wow, I mean, this is probably the price that my my mom and dad paid when this game originally came out. You know, it's like, and I, it's not like it's that hard to afford anyway, but it's still one of those things. Then you see some of those other hard to find games that are like going for, without box or manual or anything, for like five to $600. Arcade machines, on the other hand, though, like a good example here, I'm on eBay right now looking at arcade cabinets. And there is, uh, I had to make sure to filter down so I wasn't getting arcade one-up machines in here. I was looking for originals. There is a Mortal Kombat 2 Midway arcade cabinet for $1,500. Mm-hmm. 
right now. That is that is one of the more expensive ones. Um, and it actually, is. believe it or not, um, cabinets like Mortal Kombat Two or uh, Killer Instinct is another extremely expensive one. Uh, sellers and uh, people that uh, run arcades or or collect the uh, actual original units will even trade and buy and sell broken PCBs um, in order to try and get complete units, um, even harvesting parts from PCBs. Exactly. And that's one of those key parts when it comes to the way that these arcade cabinets were built, these classic ones, is it's not even just getting the replacement boards because you either have to try to find a way to fabricate them yourself or you have to piece them together from original boards if you can secure all the different parts. The other problem, though, and this is a big problem for retro gamers everywhere, is the screen. A lot of these arcade cabinets, if not all of them, are using CRT monitors. And it's so tough to secure a CRT monitor, at least at a decent price, and one that fits the, the quality needed to play one of these classic arcade games, that you may end up spending as much as you did on the cabinet to get one that works properly. Or you're going to have to forego it and fit a flat screen in there and make it work for whatever it is that you need to output from. Well, and a lot of people don't realize that some of, uh, or a lot of the earlier uh, 2D rendered, like especially fighting games, um, they they require those um, CRTs to work properly. People can go ahead and retrofit retrofit uh, LCD monitors into the units, but they still never function the same as how it would have functioned on a CRT because they were tailored for that that particular unit. Exactly. Yeah, so you're going to lose some of that experience there, and that's where it drives up a lot of these prices in getting these things because – not only is it just the cost of the parts, but it's also the realization that these have to be kept like kept in such in like such a way that you can play on them, but there's a big assumed risk though in these things breaking down, especially if they were in an arcade that you know was like left their games on all the time, you know, like they didn't well, turn off the power every night, so you've got other things to even consider though too and and that that is another thing to consider. A lot of the um, older style arcade games that are official arcade games, they were built um, like quality built. You know, uh, meant meant so kids were gonna be playing on them twelve hours a day every day of the week. You know, for for five years with you know they were gonna have to be serviced you know monthly or weekly or whatever, mm-hmm. but they. They were built in that manner where you do lose a lot of that in an arcade one-up machine and in in trying to upgrade, you know, some of the, even the basic parts, which that's one thing that you do lose with classic arcade units. You may be, um, you know, delegated to, you know, only using particular switches in a unit because, you know, you can only carry so much voltage or you know, it's only compatible with those switches or, you know, these particular buttons or that uh, particular brand joystick. Whereas the arcade one-up machines, they do have a lot of compatibility there. The only thing you really lose on is they do say they have board, uh, PCB board availability if you need replacements through their website. And I've found, you know, during my research that not wasn't necessarily true all the time but you you still are able to get them but you still can't upgrade all your like joysticks buttons switches so on and so forth yeah the like the the buttons switches uh triggers and joysticks are effectively the same in regards to the actual layout and configuration and setup you're not going to really find anything that's outlandish when it comes to those characteristics but yeah when it comes to the the internals the crt the main board any daughter boards um oh yeah that's... then yeah you end up running into those those complexities where it's like you yeah. need almost a computer engineering computer science degree to be able to actually get that board working again well and honestly i, I i've seen the difference between the two and it, it's 
it's remarkable because it, it does almost look like a like three raspberry pies or something uh together um for for the arcade one up whereas like i said with some of those older units it, it was the whole bottom of the unit was lined with boards and you know maybe one panel was just a sound card and each of the chip chips on it was designated you know so many kilobytes for just particular sounds um and you know as you progressed on you you had cartridges that you know they were a foot and a half tall you know and you know almost a foot wide that you plugged into the back of you know an old capcom machine and it it had to be compatible with that circuit but if you know the battery ever died in that thing it could fry the entire board and not just lose the scores for the you know arcade unit yeah you're you're talking about true liability with a lot of those older ones but you have enough people who go and buy like you have enough of those retro game collectors who who can afford to do it who go buy those things and they they are very passionate about what they collect so they do keep those things in working order and understand the complexity getting mm-hmm. into them what you don't see though are the people who do who do collect these arcade cabinets but don't realize what they're getting into because you have so many of those nuances like we just talked about that they don't account for and they end up effectively ruining what they've purchased and that that can happen with anybody doing anything you know is that there are things Whoa. you don't think about when it comes like when it comes to the the care and maintenance for a device like this um and that's just it regardless uh, of which one you buy be it the arcade one up or be it a uh, classic arcade unit they're both going to require maintenance um regardless um arcade buttons and arcade sticks are just finicky and require that type of thing you know just like a uh, a mechanical keyboard would you know you you have to take it apart occasionally and service it otherwise it, it's just not going to function properly yeah that's that's going to be the bigger thing and i think you hit that i think you hit that part though um i think we covered that quite a bit but what i want to ask you about though kyle is not necessarily just the collectors of the uh, of arcades and the focus of say like arcade one up to be able to bring these things into people's homes, but some more of on like the legal side of things when it comes to these arcade cabinets that are built by uh, by people and more so i guess the people who build them and then resell them as they build them i know that we have one person here in town who did that for a long time and who actually advertised quite a bit that they were building arcade cabinets and sold quite a few i believe as like multi-arcade cabinets where it was multiple games installed on like one system Mm -hmm. they followed the same process of building it at like you would at home, like with using a Raspberry Pi and a uh, flat screen TV into a custom made arcade cabinet. But they ran into some legal trouble, though, and I think they've shut down business, right? You've got some more details on this one. Um, You know, um, I I actually honestly don't. Um, I, I, oh, don't I thought you did. We were talking about this. No, um, they, they just kind hmm. of disappeared off the radar. Um, I, I quit hearing about them and. Uh, from the last I'd heard, at one point they were either part owners or partnered with our le- our, our local arcade. But um, yeah, I, I I just hadn't heard um, anything about them in actually a, a while. Um, yeah, I don't even know if they're still around anymore either. Like I I know I drive by their shop every day that I go into work. And or at least where it used to be, and I still swear I see like arcade cabinets, kind of like stacked up against the walls, like pushed up one against the other, like either ones that had like were classics uh, that had just been kind of put there from the old arcades, or they were new ones that were built that had like say classic looking decals. I couldn't tell you between the two, but I know I see a bunch of those when I drive into work still. But I don't know if anything's being done there anymore. And my impression from you when we were talking about this uh, topic in advance was that they potentially ran into some legal issues because of how they were effectively putting these things together. They were basically bypassing the, you know, they were getting around copyright and trademark stuff and turns out, nope, you're loading these games on. You don't have the right to do it. You're not paying licensing fees to do it. Yeah. Um, that, that, that 
I think is the uh, ramification that a lot of people are running into with uh, th- this whole thing is they, they don't have the actual license for the ROM. So, um, and even if they did, they, they don't have the license to distribute the ROMs uh, if they had any way of copying them uh, to the hard drive. So it, it becomes kind of a legal gray area. But then you do also have companies uh, like Atari that have turned around and have released whole collections on ones that you can either purchase or or buy separate, similar to the Arcade 1UP machine, but it, it gives users basically a Raspberry Pi with the ability to do it legally. Yeah, it, it we were just talking about that model. Yeah, the Atari full-size arcade cabinet is a full kit and came with a Raspberry Pi 3B+, 32-gigabyte micro SD card with 140 classic Atari games and a 32-inch monitor. And the setup they gave you was effectively like what you would see going into an arcade. I mean, it was your standard-looking arcade cabinet, and it has all the logos on it for the different some of the different games you could play. And yeah, it truly is a, a like a flat pack build it yourself at home cabinet. Like, I mean, it's exactly as what we'd seen for a lot of these other things, but you are right that this is something from Atari and they can license and sell it the way they please. It's their stuff. Yeah. And I, I mean, they're, they're actually um, in a way are other companies doing that as well. I mean, just recently Capcom, Granted, they're teaming up with a uh, handheld, but I, I believe they've also done uh, arcade units as well that are multi-cades um, similar to that that Atari unit. Uh, the, uh, oh, what was it? Um, Evercade um, will be actually releasing a collection of Capcom games uh, that, that are licensed. So, okay, wow. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I mean... There, there are more companies being more co- cooperative uh, with the whole scenario, realizing that they're, I, I think with re- what they're doing is actually realizing that there is the desire for the arcade experience or even for the, you know, end user to build their own arcade unit. Um, but I, I think it's still we still run into that legal gray area because you know you're you're basically um in a sense um with what a lot of people are doing is just replicating down to the artwork arcade units i mean that there's even people that granted they they do it um in an attempt to make some of the arcade one-up units uh look more realistic or as replacement uh artwork or you know pan uh, acrylic panels for arcade units that that don't uh or are have been broken out that are that are classic units uh but they they produce panels for people that have you know potentially um made false units and they don't even know it so yeah, isn't that just great, though, that, I mean, at least it's, like, there is some support there if they've been kind of hit by, like, almost like bootleg units of sorts, you know, that they're at least getting some kind of backup? Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of nice, but, I mean, it, there, there's a huge gray area with the arcade units because it, it's not something that's necessarily super pursued, but you see the companies react to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... That's really the case, I think, with a lot of it anyway. But in this day and age with the way that like game licensing of that is held and how fast the game companies jump on you for using their IP, the fact that they'll at least reach out and it's like, We'll we'll take care of you. You know, we've got you. That's that's one of those like kind of nice like bits of uh like good reading in that that you get. I think that helps kind of move things forward to know that at least these these companies are still supporting in some form, at least even if they're newer arcades. Uh, even with that said, though, uh, we were kind of talking, you know, at least there, um, or at least I had made mention in the intro, though, about how the arcades in the United States really just kind of dwindled away there because of home consoles and online play. Um, but that wasn't the same just like, 
that was really localized more to the United States because Japan, up until only like really the COVID-19 pandemic, were still bustling with arcades um, in like Akihabara, for example. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that it's like Sega still had their namesake on one of the arcades like one of their like one of the most popular arcades out there only just recently it went away but the fact that arcade was still so popular over there in Japan like what like from your understanding of it and, and that's why it's like I'm asking you on this though too you so yeah that's why I have to forgive my ignorance on a little bit of this but um what is it that made arcade stay so successful in Japan compared to how it was here in the United States like at least from some of your understanding with it um i think part of it was the uh unique style of games that um were available to play in the arcade as well as the uh variety of games um you didn't really see it here in america but in in a lot of foreign countries especially in japan they have like a lot of games that involve you touching multiple buttons around the arcade unit or actually getting up and moving that have motion sensors. I, I know in the we, we had like I believe it was uh Tokyo Police nine one one that it it was a light shooter game that actually had a, a fairly good working uh motion sensing bar around it that you basically used to take cover. But they they did a lot more with that to take it to the next level, you know, incorporate stuff like that into more games. It wasn't just, you know, sit down in this like uh, thing that looks like a Jeep and shoot at things uh, coming at you, you know, or or step on a pedal, you know, that there was a lot more variety, you know, okay, um, a lot more interactivity. And beyond that, I think there was also a social aspect to it. Um, you know, seeing someone that was uh, good at a new style of game that, you know, because they were they were coming out with a lot of different games, especially in Japan, uh, for the arcade on a constant basis that were uh, just different and uh, involved people in different ways and and got people moving in different ways. So there there was a whole social aspect that you didn't really see um, that disappeared in the United States. Uh, in the arcades because it was a lot of, you know, stick and button style games. Right. And do you think maybe some of that though, could also really kind of come down to the type of games like for us here in the U S because the way that arcades kind of dwindled and really kind of, uh, pared down that we saw more of a push to bring the arcade into the home. Like we had DDR that we could play at home time crisis, um, we had uh, Silent Scope also had a version at home too. We had oh, there's a couple other titles there off the top of my head. I guess you could really use Guitar Hero as another example because it did have that sort of arcade vibe to it. Um, do you think that it's because maybe they segmented things differently? That it's like these games that require this level of interactivity are going to be only in these areas and these are the only areas that you're going to be playing these games most of the time for that like social interactive aspect versus being at home sitting on a couch with a controller you know is that why the japanese side of it ended up maybe staying as as successful as it did that maybe they did really split up more of it than anything because i don't see stuff like halo arcade cabinets in japanese arcades or or truly like guitar hero or um anything of that nature that kind of is an Americanized version of an arcade game. It seems like a lot of the interactive stuff is really more of what separates the arcade in uh, Japan from what we see in the U S I don't know. I'm, I might disagree with you on the uh, guitar hero one because I've seen, you know, like guitar hero drum hero or Taiko drum hero style games uh, a lot in Japan. I, I think it's, I think for them too, Part of it is the fact that, you know, it's a space thing. Um, you, oh, that is also here, true. Yeah, here in America and in, in a lot of other foreign countries, too, there's a lot more space to, to be able to have, you know, these these bigger controllers, you know, whether it be a dance pad or, you know, just uh, some ridiculous controller that, that that's extra as a part of a game. I mean, you... you, you 
even look back at like the original Xbox with uh, what was the the one Mech Warrior style game. It was only like 13 missions long, but it had like a 118 button controller or something. Armored like Core. No, it wasn't Armored Core. Um, I don't know why I keep going back. Let me let me let me find it because it's gonna bother me if I don't look. Yeah, it. I I don't recall the title, but yeah, I I mean. In, oh, in Steel Battalion. Steel Battalion. Yeah, so in a, in a lot of different countries, you you had space to store these extra controllers, but I, I think it was the fact that you had the ability to show off these grand ideas, and, you know, you, you had, you know, audiences that were willing to play to, or pay to experience those ideas without having, you know, the need to, to experience it at home with, you know, knowing that they would have to store extra parts or bits for, you know, just that one game. Yeah, that you make an excellent point on that one, especially like I like I think about a lot of those different peripherals, I guess, that are required to play some games. And yeah, it, it definitely is a space constraint issue. That is a very excellent point in the matter. So maybe like Guitar that Hero in Japan, yeah. I, I see it being more successful in an arcade than it would be in like a home setting personally. Right. And I think that's, that, that's a very fair assessment. Uh, especially the fact though, too, is that it's like for socializing in Japan uh, again. I mean, I've, I've never been to Japan, but I feel like I've seen enough at least to be able to, to speak on something like this, but I'm more than happy to be corrected, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But it looks like more of like the socializing can't happen in the home uh, just because of the lack of space, though, so it's like being in an arcade does offer that level of sociability that you don't that you know versus here in the United States, where it's like we have plenty of room to bring people into our houses or our apartments or wherever and and have those types of gatherings versus in Japan, you can have a few people over, but you're really are yeah, space it's... limited, so going to the arcade is truly the social experience, and that's why that kept going. yeah, definitely, definitely being in the home is more of your. Your personal experience. It, it is more of, you know, a personal gathering of, you know, a couple of friends or, you know, close family type thing. Yeah. But I think the other part, though, that we didn't mention, or maybe you did, and I'm already just blanking out from the way that today has already been so far, um, <laughs> is uh, um, not necessarily just the social ability part of it, though, like the, the socializing in this environment where these games can fit in and the, the games you're playing together, but also the support from the big names in Japanese games, Konami and Bandai, uh, Bandai Namco, they are the ones who really put out a lot of those arcade games. Sega, of course, is another one, though, too. Capcom is another one. But they're the ones who keep doing it, and they're the ones who keep on innovating and pushing and making those new consoles, those new, or not new consoles, new cabinets, new experiences. They do all those things, and they continue to support because they know that people, they're, uh, are into it and appreciate it and they know that people keep coming back for more. So I think that may be another reason though too, whereas here in the States and probably over in Europe as well, is that we embraced more of the home console side and really kind of isolated ourselves to every game being within the home, you know, so to speak. Yeah, and I I, I think it's, it's also uh, maybe a speed of progression of you know how how games release and how you know how people change what games they play um maybe it's just a cultural thing or something i i don't know maybe but maybe you know because they are a denser population over there too you know and, and i i hate to keep going back to japan and you know use them as an example but it seems like that is where there is one of the higher densities of arcades absolutely being that they have a higher you know density of population you know you can you can afford to put you know a thirteen thousand dollar arcade unit and make your money back and still turn over a different arcade unit and become profitable and in a, a lot of recent years too uh companies like capcom and taito and you know namco the arcade cabinets that they come out with um, just require you to switch out boards more or less and switch out artwork. 
um, it, it's the same arcade unit that sits there, and all you have to do is surface parts out of it. I wonder if maybe the other part of it, though, too, is that the reason for the longevity as well is that really here in America, there is this kind of sense of entitlement and kind of uh, sense of individualism. Ownership. Well, when it comes to the way that, like, the arcades are treated, like— like you said, it's like that what there could be one arcade cabinet installed that ends up having just the artwork and the board switched out in Japan because the rest of it, save for, you know, your standard maintenance of that is usually pretty well kept and taken care of. Whereas here in the mm-hmm. States, you know, it's like you might go to an arcade and it's like, oh, you can't play this because someone got upset at a game and broke the stick off or, uh, you know, graffitied the screen or put something, uh, you know, d- did something else to it that makes it either unplayable or or. Well, I guess, yeah, just really, truly unplayable. You know, there's kind of that entitlement, though, that it's like stuff just doesn't get treated well enough. And for the cost that it would be to replace one of these things, you know, at the minimum, you know, replacing a joystick probably isn't that bad. But depending on the damage, though, especially if you have to replace the full cabinet, you're kind of starting to get into a very interesting territory where it's like, do I want to keep spending money on this if people aren't treating it properly. It's like, I can ban all the people I want, but that's not going to stop others from coming in and doing the same thing. Well, and the the funny thing is, too, um, the, these larger multicades that uh, some of these companies have actually come out with now, um, the initial startup cost, yeah, is, is quite a bit higher. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons you don't see them in the States, because a lot of times it is, even if you're going after a more rare or sought after older cabinet uh it's still less um less expensive to purchase that long run to to buy uh one of these multicades that you could just switch out you know panels or so on and so forth um but i i mean on the other hand the the multicades they they do give you a lot more option of what you can do because you know it's modular you know, you can just take out cartridges. And there have, there's these, even a company uh, that they've released a cartridge called a Pandora box uh, that it's literally just a, a basically an Evercade-style cartridge that, that's loaded with a bunch of ROMs. Um, and you can plug it in, and it's the same thing as, as buying one of those 512 Genesis games off of Amazon. Oh, God. You know? Oh, God. Well, I, I get I okay. I get that. And I like the idea though of being able to buy one machine that rules them all that you can at least switch things out for because I'm sure that in the long run your investment might end up paying off. Um and I think it really has, especially with what we've seen in Japan so far though, too. And I, I agree with you. I hate going back to make the example of Japan, but truly in regards to like the scale of the arcade environment, they're at the top. You know, and we are seeing it build back up here in the United States. Just I, I don't think we're going to be at the scale of what Japan is at right now, especially with the density of games, the quality of games and, and that, you know, for some time, unless something changes drastically in the way the gaming market works over here. But I don't expect that to happen anytime soon. Yeah. I, it it really is hard to say. I I mean, it's really cool to see that already the, I mean, as of recording, uh, the, Marvel vs. Capcom 2 um, Arcade 1-Up unit has not released. Um, of course, I they're probably going to have three ver- or two versions of it, one with the riser, one without the riser, I imagine. And, um, you know, that, that gives them the flexibility of getting extra money out of it. But it, it's the top-selling Arcade 1-Up cabinet of all time. And maybe we are going to see the resurgence of arcades. Maybe that this is the next step to show that the U.S. is ready to, to go back to the arcade. But that's tough. Yeah, it is. It, it really is. But I guess, Kyle, from, from your love of retro games especially and that... Mm-hmm. Um, you have a level of appreciation for retro games that that I probably can't like line up with. I, I like my retro games, but of course it's a very limited set based on what I played as a kid. 
You, on the other hand, definitely have played way more games than I have. So you have a level of love for retro that I, again, I can't line up with. So with your thoughts on how the retro environment has evolved and the way things have gone with retro, um, what do you see happening with the rest of the arcade environment going forward, though? Like, what do you see happening? Like, obviously, I think the easiest one I'm going to cut out here for you right now is that arcade one up, keep coming out with more arcade cabinets. I think that one's pretty cut and dry, but what about the, the homegrown arcades, you know, coming back or the arcade chains or uh, a competitor to arcade one up that does the same thing, but maybe they make the same quality stuff, but more affordable, you know, or anything like that. Like, what do you see going on though, in the world of, of arcade, at least as it relates to what we could see happening going forward. Um, I I think going forward, I especially with um, Evercade coming out with a handheld uh, partnered with Capcom, um, and it it being specifically geared towards arcade games, um, and, and you know seeing Ar- Arcade One Up being so successful with this latest announcement. Um, a total resurgence in arcades, that might be a stretch. I could see maybe some resurgence in arcades. Um, there's definitely a popularity out there, uh, coming back, especially with, uh, adults now our age that, that have the opportunity to experience arcades that just aren't there anymore. Um, and maybe want to try and spread that joy a little bit to, you know, family that hasn't had the opportunity to experience um, an arcade. Um, but I also see the, uh, I, I, I guess, the openness for for fakes, uh, a lot more fakes to be out there. Um, I was already talking about the Pandora Box um, arcade unit and it literally plugs into those um multi-cades and it, it's compatible with a lot of different ones and it's semi-official but it's not really because they're roms that that do have tearing issues uh that that do that are just emulated so i i i think there is a possibility that we're gonna see more fakes that you're gonna see things that are advertised on facebook that are that are going to be your fake arcade one ups that are that are going to be cheaper or you know we're we're going out of business and you know we need you to buy our unit for 50 bucks and <laughs> you're basically going to be buying a raspberry pi with with plywood um y- you're probably going to see more of that and who knows maybe we we could see some of the uh the multicades actually go down in price and like I said, maybe see a small resurgence in arcades and see some of the uh, cooler arcade units that that have only been released in Japan in the last like twenty years. Like, um, you know, your your touch based games or your your drum style games or a lot lot more of the the interactive games that get people moving and get get audiences excited to to want to play the game with the person or or be the next one up. Um, I, I think that would be a really fantastic idea, but more or less, I, I think it also gives people more availability to also bring down the experience and just bring home maybe a smaller experience in that, that Evercade style uh, handheld and maybe even something larger that could connect to the TV. I think it, we are going to see a resurgence in the arcade style game, if nothing else. And that would be awesome to actually see, especially now where I'd like to leave off at before we finish out this episode is if you could own one arcade cabinet, just like just the one, like your ultimate arcade cabinet. And it doesn't matter if it's, if it's one of these arcade one up ones that have been reproduced or going back to the original arcade cabinet itself, which one would you want to own? Man, I I think it would have to be the original original Marvel versus Capcom two. It, it still 
is one of my favorite ones. Or uh, there was also, I'm trying to remember which um, Marvel fighter it was that also had a ton of fighters, but it was it was solely Marvel-based. That could have been Children of the Atom, though, because they... I think it like, was Children of the Atom, actually, yeah. Yeah. It would, it would be one of those two. But it would have to be the original big, big, giant one that had the... the especially if it was <laughs> Children of Adam, uh, it had this huge arc uh, pad that was just totally illustrious, a screen that was larger than normal. Just awesome. Awesome. Well, I think for me, I have one of two. It would either have to be Star Wars Arcade. That's the one where you actually sat down at it and you had the different levels from uh, Empire Strikes Back, uh, mm. Return of the Jedi, uh, the original Star Wars, and like you'd have the fight against like Boba Fett and Vader. Um, you know, with the joystick, like you'd have to point it in different ways with yeah. them to use the lightsaber. The, that one I spent a lot of time on as a kid. The other one would have to be, if I couldn't get the Star Wars arcade, it'd have to be either Time Crisis 2 or 3. Time Crisis is a good one. That is a good one. That, but... could, that could keep me going for a while, but man. I don't know. If, if I had to pick an affordable one, though, and just off the top of my head... Just because it's one of my absolute classic, classic favorites, Joust. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough, man. I'll go with Donkey Kong then for true classic then. Ooh, awesome. That would be for me. So since, of course, we left you with uh, what we would like in arcades as well, though, too, at least the ones that we would like to own. Make sure you answer our poll as well, too, here at the end of the podcast once you're done listening. If you are a Spotify listener, we will have that poll opened up to tell us exactly what type of arcade cabinet you'd exactly you'd like to see, whether it is a true classic one, whether you'd like to see one of these arcade one-up ones, you know, anything like that, you should answer. And, of course, it helps us to develop our community as well by having you contribute to us and everybody else with the podcast as well. So that's where we're going to end it, talking about arcades for this week's episode of Discuss. With that, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Of course, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice, that's great. You just got to make sure to hit that follow button on there so that way every single episode that does become available will automatically download to your device and you can start listening to us right off the bat. It's a great feature and trust me, it has helped me in the past with all the other podcasts I listen to as well. So be sure to do that. If you have not decided on a platform, go check out our homepage, anchor.fm slash the-npcs-podcast and go look at all the different platforms we're supported on. We're on all the major players, uh, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, you name it, we are there. Uh, be sure to just go and follow us on one of those. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media over on Facebook and uh, Twitter at the NPCs Podcast. And of course, follow us on our YouTube page where we do a live news stream every week, Fridays, 8 p.m. Mountain Time, talking about the week's video game news. With all that, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to another Discuss. We will catch you all in the next episode. Laters. Laters.